You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. Amen. Love that song. That's kind of become our theme song here at Risen Life. And there's nothing more appropriate than that, right? We, we need you, Lord. We need you. and Lord, we need him as we open up the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. Good morning, by the way. Hope you're doing well. Let me say, as you're turning, just how much I have enjoyed uh, being blessed by, by Patrick and, and Drew the last couple of weeks, teaching and um, in some very difficult passages in this book. There's a lot of difficult passages in Ecclesiastes, if, if you haven't noticed yet. Um, and, and so I trust that you've been blessed as I have the last couple of weeks. I, I certainly have. It's exciting uh, to see what God is doing here, raising up several men who, who can teach and preach his word with, with, with clarity and, and with boldness and without compromise. That, that's, that's very exciting to me. It's, it's really what I've been uh, praying for. Uh, from the beginning, and, and so it's been amazing to see God work so far in that, um, and I'll ask you to keep praying for us, keep praying for me um, and the others who, who teach up here, for, for our holiness, uh, for our commitment to God's word above our own word, um, and just for growth in, in, in learning how to properly uh, present the word uh, before you. So now as we open the text this morning, we have another difficult to understand text in chapter 5, and, and also I think a difficult one to hear. Uh, we've been on this pursuit of, of purpose. We have the, the little uh, background image here today. We've been on this pursuit uh, through this book of Ecclesiastes, the pursuit of purpose is what we've, we've titled this series, um, and we've been hearing from from uh, in the Hebrew, Kohelet, or, or the preacher in English uh, in this book. He's the narrator of this book. Most commentators would, would say it is uh, Solomon who either wrote this book or um, who the author has in mind, at least. And, and we've seen glimpses, just, just glimpses of, of purpose so far, mixed in with a whole lot of, of vanity and, and meaninglessness. Right, we've seen that word vanity come, come up over and over again. Solomon has been taking us up these different mountains looking for purpose. And so he's taking us up uh, the mountain of wisdom and of knowledge. And he's taking us up the mountain of, of possessions and, and of career and of, of hard work and, and even of, of laziness. And he's taking us up the mountains of, of isolation and of justice um, and of popularity, and, and perhaps a, a few more that I'm not thinking of uh, this morning. And he keeps taking us up to the peaks of these mountains that look so nice. And he keeps coming up with the same conclusion. It's all vanity. It's all meaningless. It's all smoke. The, the word in, in the Hebrew is hevel. Uh, it's all smoke. It, it looks like you're going to find purpose in these things. It looks like you're sure to find purpose in these things. But you get to the top and you find that there's no real purpose. There's no real purpose in career. There's no real purpose in possessions and so on and so forth. We found a lot of meaninglessness. If you spend your life there, you've wasted your life. So Solomon's saying, don't bother going up this mountain, or this mountain, or this mountain. I've done it, and it's meaningless. And so this morning in chapter 5, uh, Kohelet, or the preacher, is going to take us up another mountain. And, and this one looks really promising. 
this mountain looks promising. It's the mountain of religion. Got to be promising, right? Amen? Yeah? You guys with me this morning? Is everyone awake this morning? Oh, thank you, Michael. Yes. Yes, someone is with me today. This one looks promising. The, the mountain of religion. Surely this is where we will find purpose. This is where meaning is in, in religious ritual, in religion, in, in worship. After all, one of the conclusions that, that keeps coming up from Solomon is that we need to fear God. And so surely that means we need to become religious in, in some way. Well, I, I don't want to burst your bubble already this morning, but, but what we're going to find again uh, this morning is that even this mountain, even the pursuit of religion, when done the way that we often think, is going to leave us empty. It's going to leave us empty as well. And so this morning, my title is going to be even something the atheist can get on board with. Religion is meaningless. Religion is meaningless and before we think josh has gone off his rocker here he's gone rogue on us just just hear me out as, as we try to let the text speak this morning so i'm gonna ask you to stand with me and we're gonna read the first just seven verses of this chapter and then we'll get going so it says walk prudently when you go to the house of god and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your, your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity. But fear God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this gathering. Thank you for this church family. Lord, I thank you for the visitors we have this morning. And we're so thankful, God, that they've, um, they've granted us the opportunity to worship with them uh, this morning. And God, let our worship be true this morning. Father, we want you to be glorified in this time. We want your character to be magnified. Uh, God, and if there's one who doesn't know you this morning, we pray that you would save them, Father. God, I ask that you would move me out of the way. Lord, remove all distractions this morning that are keeping us from your word. And God, you speak to your people um, what you would have us hear. And Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for this wonderful word today. Help me, Lord, to explain it. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, you can have a seat. Well, each of us this morning has something or someone that we worship. Each of us has something or someone that we worship. Though, though some might claim to have no religion, all of us are worshipers of something or of someone. We all assign worth and honor to something or someone that we value. Even if you don't realize it this morning, your life would suggest that you are a worshiper. You worship something. Solomon, in this passage in, in chapter 5, it sounds a whole lot different than, than a lot of the other passages that we've heard. And he's instructing us on how to worship God, the proper way to worship God. And in turn, uh, that there is a way uh, of worship that is absolutely meaningless. And has no purpose and that is empty. It's vanity. I would, I would suggest to you uh, that worship is actually the key to finding purpose in life. However, it must be done the right way and have the right object at its center. 
So as we climb up this mountain of religion and, and worship this morning to try to find some purpose in life, from the text, I want us to see four marks of meaningless worship. Four marks of meaningless worship. And, and as we do that, we're going to see that there's a way of worship uh, that brings great and wonderful purpose. And then there's a way that will leave you just as empty as chasing after possessions or, or knowledge or, or career or anything else we've talked about uh, as those things will leave you. And so, so let's look at, at these marks of meaningless worship, starting with the first mark, which is exaltation of self. Exaltation of self. <clears throat> now, Kohelet starts this section in verse 1 saying, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God. Your translation might say, uh, Guard your steps. And literally in the Hebrew... It means watch your feet. Watch your feet when you go to the house of God. And this is talking about the posture that we take before God. One mark of false worship, worship that, that leaves you empty, is that there's a focus on exalting self over exalting God and putting Him in His proper place. Now, obviously, for the atheist, the main focus of worship is self. Now, you may not want to admit that this morning if you're an atheist, um, but the main focus of the atheist worldview is worshiping self. Life is, is not about honoring a, a deity in that case, but rather about meeting my own needs and wants and being my own God. It's the religion of of secular humanism. Humans reign. Humans are at the top. And, and we assign worth to what humans can do. And that doesn't mean that an atheist uh, doesn't care about anyone else or, or love others. But ultimately the object of worship is self. And we can look at that as, as Christians, which, which many of us are today, most of us I would say, and we can see the error of, of that thinking. And we can see that, that while you might be able to bring about some temporary happiness uh, in your life with that worldview in certain seasons of your life, ultimately there's no purpose in that. We live and then we die and, and then we're forgotten, as we've talked about. And then we face the judgment. As we've been discussing throughout this book, But I would argue that as Christians, we often do the same thing with our worship as the atheist does. Many Christians are, simply put, practical atheists. We claim to be about God and His purposes, but our lives would indicate a severe lack of reverence and honor and true worship for our Creator. Our lives would indicate in many cases that, that we, like the atheists, are, are more concerned with our own wants and desires, with exalting ourselves, than we are with God and His holiness and His perfection and His worth and His value. Romans 1 uh, says it this way, we worship the creation rather than the Creator. Even as Christians, I think sometimes we can do that. Contemporary Christianity has become very me-centered rather than God-centered. Much of the material you see when you... Have you been in a Christian bookstore lately? It's very sad to walk in a Christian bookstore these days. There's some good stuff. There's some, some really great stuff in there. But much of the materials you see on the bestseller list there is just about you and, and how to make your life better. Not so much about God and His greatness and His character and His holiness. We see things like seven steps to a better you. Right? You seen that book? 
there's like a thousand of them, so I'm sure you've seen one. Five ways to be a better parent. Okay? Six ways to manage your money better. It's at the Christian bookstore. How about dare to be a Daniel? You can be a Daniel. How can you be a Daniel? How about how to make every day like a Friday? You've seen that one? That's a classic. Joel Osteen. Every day a Friday. Every day's not Friday. And everything's not always sunshine, is it? Every day a Friday. So many sermons from our pulpits have become less about God's character and God's greatness and more about you and your felt happiness. Our music in the contemporary church has become more about entertaining people and putting on a show and less about exalting God. The lyrics are so often about what God can give us rather than about who God is and His worth. I'm so thankful for a worship team who strives to look carefully at every lyric and make sure the focus is on the worship of God and not self, as it should be. And they're talented, yeah? <clears throat> we tend to view church in terms of, of, of how, how it meets our own felt needs rather than how God was exalted. So, so we leave church thinking, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't really love that song they did today. You know, did I really like that type of music? Or was the pastor funny enough? Usually the answer is no here. Right? We don't tell a whole lot of jokes. Uh, did, they, did they have the right kind of coffee, though? With the right creamer, because you know I like that one creamer. And this church doesn't have it. And that made me feel bad. I don't know if I'll go back. Do they have every single program that I need, that my kids need? Is everything perfectly in place for me? How about you build it, by the way? How about you be a part of building that program that's not here? Was the sermon practical enough for my situation today? And next week, is it going to be just as practical for my situation next week? Right? It's all about me. The crux of the matter is that many times our worship as Christians becomes just another way that we exalt ourselves over magnifying God. God becomes our personal genie and our buddy who's there to meet our wants and our needs rather than the almighty sovereign that he is. In fact, I don't know if you saw this a few years ago, but uh, Victoria Osteen, I'm not meaning to pick on the Osteens this morning, but it's just happening. Um, Victoria Osteen, who's the wife, that's the wife of, of Joel Osteen, pastor of one of the biggest mega churches in the world. A few years ago, she said this at her church. She said, I just want to encourage every one of us to realize that when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. She said, when you come to church, when you worship Him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself. This is the biggest, or one of the biggest megachurches in the world of Christianity. That, unfortunately, about sums up the mindset of the contemporary church, sadly. It's all about me. I'm not doing it for God. If God wants to do something for me, great. I'll worship Him in my own way. But I'm doing this for me. I am at the center of worship, really. Kohelet reminds us here in chapter 5 that this kind of religion is meaningless. And it will leave you absolutely empty. You will not find fulfillment there in self-exaltation. It sounds great. It, it sounds great to have all of my personal needs met, met to, to focus on myself. 
But when the focus of worship is self, we're left empty. Just as empty as the person who claims no belief. We're just as empty. In contrast contrast to that mindset, Solomon says, guard your steps when you approach God. That's what he says in verse 1. This brings to mind, for me, the moment where God showed up to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Remember, he told Moses in verse 5 of that chapter, he said, do not draw near this place. He said, take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. In other words, watch your feet, Moses. I am holy God, creator God, almighty God, and you are not. You cannot be close. You're on holy ground. See, if we want worship that has purpose, that brings fulfillment, it starts with the realization that He is God. And we are mere man. He is so much higher and holier and wiser and other than us. Remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and they were cast out, God placed uh, two cherubim, uh, two angels at at the entrance to the garden to separate sinful man from himself so that they wouldn't be destroyed. They couldn't be in His presence any longer because of their sin. There was separation. Solomon, who's writing this, was chosen to build this magnificent temple for God during His reign as king. And boy, it was magnificent. But even in the temple, there was clear separation between God and man. In the entrance to the Holy of Holies, where God was said to dwell... There was a huge veil that separated the dwelling place of God and the main temple area of worship. And on that veil, there were woven two cherubim, just like the garden. Again, signifying the separateness of God and man because of sin. And only the high priest, and only once a year, And only with a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, could go beyond the veil to give that sacrifice for the people. It was all set up to show that God was to be exalted. Even the building itself showed that God is holy and man is sinful and separate. He is the one worthy of worship and praise and honor And so we should exalt Him as such when we worship. It should be about Him. Kohelet goes on in verse 1 to instruct us to to draw near to hear when we go to worship. Draw near to hear. And how does God primarily speak to us? This, right? His Word. That's primarily how God speaks to us through His Word in the Bible. This is why we kind of make a big deal about it here. The Bible is kind of a big deal at Risen Life. It's pretty much the only deal. Um, We make much of Scripture because it is God's Word and not mere man's Word. Who cares about my words? Worship isn't about us being heard. It's not about me blabbing my mouth for an hour. Worship is about God being heard. It's not about us having complete comfort and completely having every single of our every, every single one of our wants met. It's about hearing from God himself. That's why my prayer every week is, Lord, you speak, please. They don't want to or need to hear anything I have to say, but only what you have to say, Lord. 
Every song, every sermon, our times of prayer should be all about us hearing from God and making much of of what He has to say. Not of what any of us think. A true worship that fulfills has God's Word at the center. God's Word's at the center. It it exalts God over self. And we've kind of been focusing on our our time of corporate worship, and that's really the main context here in chapter 5. But our worship doesn't end when we hit the doors and we go back to our homes. Worship is not just what we do here, but it is the heartbeat of our lives. And so we need to ask ourselves, is my life more about exalting me or exalting Christ? Am I more concerned with my felt needs than I am with hearing from God? You know, we do this when we approach His Word so many times too. Well, you know, I was reading the Bible for a a few days, but it just wasn't relevant to me. Again, it wasn't relevant to my situation that I felt like I needed to hear in that moment. It's all about us. Is God's Word the focus of my life? The way that He presents it? And if it's not, then why? Why not? If it's not, what does that say about our worship? Worship that does not exalt the character of God and His Word will ultimately leave you empty and without purpose. But when God is put in His proper place, and His Word is prioritized as the most important words in the universe, because they are, that's where true meaning is found in worship. That's where we find purpose. So many have come to God from a perspective of of what He can do for me, rather than a perspective of, of who He is and His character. And I want to worship Him for that. His holiness and His majesty. And the fact that that in in His holiness and His majesty, He decided to look at us, sinners, and give His life for us. Bridge that gap that we've been talking about. Bridge the gap between us and God. Jesus did that, right? He ripped the veil from, from top to bottom so that we can have relationship with Him. That's a love that is that's incomprehensible, considering we, we are specks of dust to God. Less than that, even. We're nothing. And yet He has loved us in that way. Yet so many people come with their own ideas of what Christianity is supposed to be. They, they come with their own ideas of, oh, this is here to please me. Rather than just basking in the love of who He is. So many have come in the name of Christ. While really exalting themselves above God and His Word. And they found Christianity lacking. And I would suggest to you that they didn't find true Christianity. They found just another way to worship self. And put a Christian label on it. And that is no different than every other empty religion. Because when we do it our way, when the focus is me, we find emptiness. We need God to be God and and, and us to be us. So he says, guard your steps when you come to God. Another mark of worship, false worship, is empty ritual. Empty ritual. Still in verse 1, we we see that that we need to draw near to listen rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, he says. He says, for they do not know that they do evil. Solomon talks about the vanity of this sacrifice of of fools. So, So what is this? What is the sacrifice of fools? Well, A sacrifice of fools is just empty ritual 
to gain favor from God. A sacrifice of fools. God addresses this kind of sacrifices in, in many places where the Israelites would go through the motions of sacrifice and worship, but they would do it their own way with hearts that were far from repentant. He says many times that he doesn't want that kind of sacrifice. He does not desire that kind of sacrifice. In fact, it's worse than no sacrifice at all. This is most clear, I think, in the book of Malachi. In chapter 1 of Malachi, he talks about priests who would offer defiled food on the altar. But then they would say, in what way have we defiled you? In what way have we defiled you, God? He talks about them offering the sick and the lame animals to God on the altar of sacrifice, rather than the requirements he had set up of, of a spotless animal. And God goes on to say there, just shut the doors. Shut the doors of the temple. Stop the empty ritual. It's disgusting to God. This is the sacrifice of fools. Just going through the motions, but with hearts not set on obeying God. And he says here that that they do not know that they do evil. These fools, they don't know that that they do evil. They're so ignorant of the truth that they think what they're offering is okay and is pleasing to God. But it's not. God says in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, He says, To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. False worship revolves around first exalting self over God and second going through empty rituals thinking it's going to gain favor from God somehow. This is also very prevalent today. Of course, we see it in other religions. You know, Muslims, they they perform the the five pillars of Islam. That's a requirement. Um, in Islam, thinking that they can earn their way to God. Because in Islam, there is no sacrifice for sin. There's no such thing. So you've got to earn your way somehow to God, and they do that with the five pillars. So we see it in, in Mormonism and, and Jehovah's Witnesses, where uh, you must do all these extra things in addition to Christ in order to, again, earn your way. Earn your way to God. This was the, a primary issue of the Protestant Reformation. The, the Catholic Church had all these sacraments to which you must adhere again in order to be saved. All in addition to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. While the Reformers said no. Uh, salvation is, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing else can be added to that. We see this empty ritual. We see it in Buddhism, certainly, and, and, and Hinduism. And we see it in every single religion on the planet. All religions really are pretty much the same. They're right about that. Except for Christ, that is. And we see this ritual everywhere. And we even see it in in so-called Christianity, though it's not biblical, we might even see it in ourselves if we're honest this morning. Maybe we think if if we attend church enough, if we do the right ordinances, if we we say the right things, if uh, God's going to somehow be more pleased with us. Well, this is the sacrifice of fools. Just empty ritual, thinking that's going to gain something. So we go to church Week after week after week, we find different Bible studies to attend. We give our money. We, we offer sacrifice in those ways. But what is the motivation? Do we think we're making God more pleased with us by doing these things? Do we think that ritual, apart from repentance, will cover our sins? It will not. That's what the Israelites thought. 
If we just do what God prescribed and we, we kind of do it in our own way, we'll be okay. And we can get back to where, what we really want. We can, get, we can get out of the temple and we can go do what we really want to do. Now, as believers, um, we should go to church. I know, I'm glad you're here this morning. Thank you. We, we should give of our time and our money. We should long to be in, in, in small groups or, or, or Bible studies. And we should long to study our Bibles at home. And we should long to spend time in prayer. And we should do those things. Absolutely. But those things just become a full sacrifice if the motivation is to earn God's favor or, or to get more stuff from God. I remember when I went to Europe in, in college uh, with our college choir and, and some of my uh, Catholic friends, they, they, had their, their, they had in their minds and, and they plainly stated that, that basically they were going to do whatever they wanted that week, whatever sinful activity they wanted because at the end of the week we were going to go to Mass at one of these cathedrals. And it would all be okay. It's alright because Mass is coming up Saturday. It's okay, I can do this. Because Mass is coming up. That'll cover it. God says you're a fool. That's a fool's sacrifice. Empty ritual. And when you chase after empty ritual, you soon leave the faith. Because you never worship God in the first place. How many have, 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 have turned back from Christ or, or, or deconstructed their faith because they never truly wanted Christ? But they wanted a, a ritual to save them. Or they thought that that could do that. Those who follow after empty ritual will find themselves standing before God at the end and He will say to them, Depart from Me. I never knew you. Because biblical Christianity is about knowing God through Jesus Christ. It's not about coming to church. It's not about giving of your money. It's not about um, even reading your Bible. It's not about prayer. It is about knowing God through Christ. You can know God. Now all of these things that I just mentioned contribute to that, yes? And you can't really know God if you're not practicing the disciplines of the faith. These are the ways that God speaks to us primarily. But biblical Christianity is not about ritual. It is about knowing our Creator. And I hope that you know Him this morning. This is why every single religion, including the, the mainstream so-called Christianity of today, is meaningless. Because it doesn't have knowing Christ at its center. Christ who is the payment for our sin. And Christ who makes us worthy. But when Christ is the foundation. And love for Christ. Because he first loved us. When it's about exalting him as God. And about serving out of a deep love for him. Not out of a sense of earning something from God. But out of just love for him. When, when worship is biblical. We find purpose. We find the one thing that, that is eternal and fulfilling and that, that even brings abundant life to us even now in this life. And it brings meaning to everything because everything can be about knowing the eternal one more fully. And that's beautiful. Worship is the key, but not the worship that we often see. So we've seen exaltation of self. We've seen empty ritual. A third mark of, of meaningless worship is, is elaborate prayer. And we finally made it out of verse 1. So, you're welcome. 
Starting in verse 2, Solomon warns us uh, about being rash with our mouths when we worship God. He says, let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Again, here in these verses, we see the separation and holiness between God and man. Uh, We are on earth. He is in heaven. In fact, he created the heavens and the earth. And so our words should be few. They should be careful. This is speaking to to trying to impress God with our big, fancy words. Again, thinking we can earn favor. Get on His good side or whatever it is that we think. It's not saying that you're sinful if you pray a long prayer, by the way. So long prayers will... Feel free to continue praying long. That's okay. But not just so it can be long. That's the point. It's not speaking to the length of prayer, but rather to the heart of prayer. God is in heaven. We are on earth. He knows all things. And He knows the state of our hearts when we come before Him. Jesus spoke against those who tried to impress with their elaborate prayers in Matthew 6. Verse 7, He says there, Uh, Do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. They think they've got it all together. They think they can impress Almighty God, the the maker of heaven and earth. They think they can impress Him with their words. Solomon says, how foolish is that thinking? Instead, we should pray like the tax collector in, in Luke chapter 18. And it says he could not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Sometimes the most pleasing prayers to God are the ones with very few words, but much humility. Very few words, but, but much humility. And sometimes all we can get out is, is Father, help. Right? You ever been there? It's all you can get out. That's all I can't even think to pray right now. But I know I need Him. And when my son or daughter comes to me and says, Daddy, help. I don't look at them and say, Well, well, son, uh, you really need to work on the way you said that. You know, Why don't you try using some bigger words and then come talk to me? Why don't you try using a longer sentence and then I'll help you? No, I say, let me help you, son. I'm here for you. Because I love my children. And how much more does God love us? I don't understand it because we are sinners, but how much more does God love us? He's interested in our humility before Him, not our elaborate words. Not our elaborate words. Again, when we find ourselves like the Pharisees speaking great words and elaborate prayers before God just for show, thinking we can manipulate God, there we also find emptiness. Well, we're worshiping, but we're not worshiping correctly. That's the point of verse 3 here. It's kind of hard to understand. Where, Where there's lots of toil and hard work, there is sleeping and dreaming from exhaustion or dreams. In the same way, trying to impress and manipulate God with many words displays that 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 person is a fool. It is in humility and desperation that true worship and in turn true fulfillment is found. That's why I love that song that we just sang. Lord, I, I need you. Lord, I need you. But do we mean it this morning? That's the question. Do you mean it in your heart this morning? Finally, let's, let's look at one last mark of false worship, of meaningless worship. And that's erroneous vows. Solomon says in verse 4 that 
when you make a vow to God, don't delay in paying it. He says it's better to not vow to God than to not pay up. He says God has no pleasure in fools who do this. Now this requires a, a little bit of context. Uh, vowing to God became a regular part of worship for Israel. It, it wasn't something that God prescribed and said, hey, you have to do this, but it was something optional if someone wanted to make a vow of some sort to God. You can see one example in Hannah uh, and, and her prayer uh, and, and how she gave her son Samuel uh, to the temple, to the service of the Lord, because God allowed her uh, to be pregnant. She was vowing her son to God. And there are several other examples throughout Scripture, really, really many examples. So often a person would, would come to the temple and they would vow to give maybe a certain amount of money or a certain item or, or a, a certain piece of land, and then they would go home and hopefully get things set up uh, to fulfill that giving. However, sometimes uh, they would get home and they would, uh, they would uh, change their minds. Uh, and they would realize that, oh, I, I spoke a little hastily. I can't give that much. And they weren't really ready to depart with whatever it is that they had vowed. And so a temple messenger would come uh, to check on the status of the vow to collect. And so Solomon says in verse 6, Do not let your mouth cause, you, cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger uh, that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? In other words, you didn't have to vow. You didn't have to make that vow, but you did. Don't be hasty with vows because God will require it of you. Oh, we see a tragic example of this in Acts chapter 5 uh, with Ananias and, and Sapphira uh, where a hasty vow cost them both their lives, if you'll remember. I don't have time to look at that this morning, but they didn't have to vow to give up the money that they vowed, but they did. They vowed that they would give this, and then they lied to God and they didn't give it. The point of this is really the distinction between simply making bold statements and actually doing what you say you're going to do. It's the distinction that James calls being a doer of the word and not just a hearer. A true worship is fulfilling your vows, doing what you say you're committed to, False worship is filled with empty talk. Well, you might talk a big talk, but you're not walking it. I may say I'm committed to Christ, but you couldn't tell that by the way I live. That's just false worship. We still sometimes make rash vows at times today, and maybe you have. Anyone ever been in a, in a, in a difficult situation and, and kind of started to bargain with God? Oh God, if you just get me out of this, I know I sinned, I'm sorry, but if you just get me out of these consequences, I, I promise that I'll, I'll be at church every Sunday. I'll never miss a Sunday in my life again. I promise I'll be more serious about reading my Bible if you just get me out of this tight spot. I'll never do it again, God. I see some smiles, I think this is sounding familiar to some. Maybe to all of us at times when we're just rash with our mouths. Solomon says we should not be hasty in promising God something. What about marriage vows that we make before God? Vows to, to raise our children in Christ that we'll make before the church, before God. You know, even as a member of this church, um, we sign a church covenant vowing to actively be growing closer to Christ. If you're a member here this morning, that's what you signed up for. I'm going to grow closer to Christ through the reading of His Word, through prayer, through being here. We vow to be here. Oh, we vow to, to give of ourselves for His kingdom when we sign that covenant. We, we, we vow to hold each other accountable to the Word of God. That's what it says in there if you didn't read it. 
You're to hold each other accountable to the word. We, we vow to follow the biblical method of resolving conflict. And, and to go to our brother or sister who has offended us and, and figure it out. But how many times when conflict arises do we decide instead that maybe gossip is a better idea? Better than the biblical method. And we forget that vow that we vowed to this church, to the members of this church, to this body before God. But what if Christians actually kept our vows? The world would, would see different marriages, wouldn't they? Like radical marriage. Things they don't see out there. The world would see different raising of children. They would see a different kind of community within the church. And guess what? They might just see that and want what we have. And they might just see that and give glory to God. See, true worship means that we not only talk the talk, but we walk the walk. We are doers of the word and not hearers only and not just talkers. You can fool every one of us, but you can't fool God. Again, this kind of comes back to this, this thing that we keep coming back to. To false worship being at its core about self over God. About the comfort of me rather than the exaltation of God. And, and that's Solomon's final instruction here. In verse 7 he says, In the multitude of dreams and many words there is also vanity. In other words, it's a fantasy it's a dream to think that our words, our vows, our elaborate prayers, our empty rituals are going to move God. That somehow we're going to manipulate God into earning His favor. That's not going to happen. That's just a dream. And that misses the point of true worship. He is so much higher than us. So much wiser. He knows the depths of our hearts. And guess what? All things are laid bare before Him. You know that? You can fool every one of us, but you are naked before God. It's all laid bare before Him this morning. And so Solomon ends by simply instructing us, fear God. Fear God. Yours might say, stand in awe. Of God. And that's really the take home point here. And that's the point from, from where true worship flows. And true fulfillment begins. The fear of the Lord. It starts with an understanding. With understanding his set apartness from us. His great power. His superior holiness. His perfection. And recognizing our need for Him. He does not need us. But boy, do we need Him. And boy, do we need to hear from Him. Boy, do we need Him to forgive us for our wicked hearts. We need His help to live righteously. And for some reason, Almighty God offers Himself wholly to you this morning as a free gift through Jesus. And Solomon is writing in a time that was well before Jesus came. Uh, there really could be no closeness to God for the most part. You could only go so far in the temple. And there were... Uh, there were so many things that reminded you of the separation between you and God. And you know, we do well to remember that separation. It's only when we, we come to accept and honor and 
revere his great holiness versus our weakness, that we can truly appreciate the gospel. Because he removed the separation. He took it out of the way. If we don't worship him for his greatness and power, we'll never appreciate his grace. Grace becomes cheap when you don't understand his holiness and his power. It's not that big of a deal to us if he's just one of the guys. But if he is God Almighty and he has loved us in this way, that's incredible. That's breathtaking. He sent his son to leave all of that honor and that separation from humankind and to enter in. To enter into this world as a baby. He entered into this broken world to give his life, to redeem it, and to redeem us. I'm going to ask the band to, to come on up as we come to a closing point here. And because of that, because he's done that, because of the cross, we can have our sins forgiven. We cannot earn favor from God. That pursuit is an empty one. We certainly cannot be our own gods. That pursuit is an empty one. And has no answer for death. But in Jesus, we can be made perfect. We can be given His righteousness. We can be clothed with His righteousness instead of our sin. And we can be with Him forever. Religion is meaningless. Even so-called Christianity, mainstream Christianity, is meaningless. When Christ is not put in His proper place. But when Christ is exalted and we're overwhelmed by His great love, boy, we find supreme fulfillment in that. We find again that everything we do matters because everything we do has the chance to affect eternity. Everything we do is a gift from God to help us and others glorify God and be with Him for eternity. You may be here this morning and, and for the first time be realizing that you know, you've never really trusted in Christ for salvation. Maybe you've called yourself a Christian, but it's really just been about ritual or about what I can get out of it, about having my needs met, about trying to manipulate God, hoping that He'll accept me. Maybe that's you today and, and you need to truly come to Christ in surrender and humility for the first time. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and and close your eyes as we close. Maybe the, for the first time, uh, you need to see what true worship is all about. Maybe it's time to give up on religion and say hello to knowing God. If you need to come this morning, I'll just beg you, please don't wait. Don't delay. The door is open by the grace of God. And you can enter in through faith in Christ and through repentance of sin. Through a humble heart that says, Lord, I'm sorry. I have, I have sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me. And I want to pledge my life to you, Lord. My life is yours. You will be my master from now on, you will be my Lord and you will be my Savior. If you haven't done that, I want to ask you to humble yourself before Him this morning. And place your faith, not in what you can do, but in what He alone has done and who He is. That's the only true worship that there is. A relationship with God through Christ. So if you need to come... Then come this morning. I'll be in the back in just a moment if, if you want me to uh, pray with you or anything I can do to help. If you want to come up here and pray at the altar, you're welcome to do that.
you want to grab someone and, and pray with them, you're welcome to do that. Maybe even as a Christian, you need to spend some time in repentance this morning for being too me-centered. Has it become too much about you? And you haven't honored Him and His Word and given it the high place in your life that it certainly deserves. He deserves it this morning. He deserves all of our honor, all of our worship. Maybe today is the day we need to stop going through the motions and come in repentance. Maybe you've been talking a lot but you're not being a doer of the word. We'll come to him today. And he is faithful and just to cleanse us, to forgive us, and to use you once again. I'm going to give you a few moments as we uh, play through this song. And when you're ready, you're welcome to stand and sing, but take your time in prayer before him this morning. I'll leave you to it.